Today I'm going to talk about Emmett Fox's Seven Day Mental Diet. I read it. I think it's really, really good. I think everybody should read it. However, I think it's uh, although I think it's amazing. I think the missing part, in my opinion, is there should be an emphasis on letting go. That's why today I'm gonna read two excerpts. One from the Mental Diet book by Emmett Fox, and the other one, a smaller excerpt from Letting Go by Devin Hawkins. Why am I doing this? I do believe that those two combined together are really a lethal combination to succeed in life. But I mean, what I mean by succeed is succeeding in being able to be on top of your thoughts and guarding your thoughts, and being. Somewhat control in control, quote unquote, obviously, of your emotional state of mind, which is the most important thing you can do in life. So let me start with Emmett Fox. The Seven Day Mental Diet by Emmett Fox. It is the food which you furnish to your mind that determines the whole character of your life. It is the thoughts you allow yourself to think, the subjects that you allow your mind to dwell upon, which make you and your surroundings what they are. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. Everything in your life today, the state of your body, whether healthy or sick, the state of your fortune, whether prosperous or impoverished, the state of your home, whether happy or the reverse, the present condition of every phase of your life in fact, is entirely conditioned by the thoughts and feelings which you have entertained in the past, by the habitual tone of your past thinking, and the condition of your life tomorrow and next week and next year will be entirely conditioned by the thoughts and feelings which you choose to entertain from now onwards. In other words, we choose our lives. That is to say, we choose all the conditions of our lives. When you choose the thoughts upon which you allow your mind to dwell, thoughts is the real causative force in life, and there is no other. You cannot have one kind of mind and another kind of environment. This means that you cannot change your environment while leaving your mind unchanged. Nor and this is the supreme key to life and the reason for this article. Can you change your mind without your environment changing too? This then is the key to life. If you change your mind, your conditions must change too. Your body must change, your daily work or other activities must change. Your home must change. The color tone of your whole life must change. For whether you be habitually happy and cheerful or low-spirited and fearful depends entirely on the quality of the mental focus upon which you diet yourself. Please be very clear about this. If you change your mind, your conditions must change too. We are transformed. Let me repeat this. 
we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so now you will see that your mental diet is really the most important thing in your whole life this may be called the great cosmic law and its truth is seen to be perfectly obvious once it is clearly stated in this way in fact I do not know of any thoughtful person who denies its insatiable truth. The practical difficulty in applying it, however, arises from the fact that our thoughts are so close to us that it is difficult without a lethal practice to stand back as it were and look at them objectively. Yet, that is just what you must learn to do. You must train yourself to focus the subjects of your thinking at any given time and also choose the emotional tone or what we call the mood that colors it. Yes, you can choose your moods. Indeed, if you could not, you would not have any control over your life at all. Moods habitually entertain produce the characteristic disposition of the person concerned and it is his disposition that finally makes or mars a person's happiness you cannot be healthy you cannot be happy you cannot be prosperous if you have a bad disposition if you are sulky or surly or cynical or depressed or superior or frightened half of your wit your life cannot possibly be worth living Unless you are determined to cultivate a good disposition, you may as well give up all hope of getting anything worthwhile out of life. And it is kinder to tell you very plainly that this is the case. If you are not determined to start in now and carefully select all day the kind of thoughts that you are going to think, you may as well give up on all hope of sharing your life into the kind of thing that you want it to be. Because this is the only way. In short, if you want to make your life happy and worthwhile, which is what God wishes you to make it, you must begin immediately to train yourself in the habit of thought selection and thought control. Let me repeat this. You must begin immediately to train yourself in the habit of thought selection and thought control. This will be exceedingly difficult for the first few days but if you persevere you will find that it will become rapidly easier and it is actually the most interesting experiment that you could possibly make let me repeat this and it is actually the most interesting experiment you could possibly make in fact this tough control is the most thrillingly interesting hobby that anyone could take up You'll be amazed at the interesting things that you will learn about yourself and you will get the results almost from the beginning. Now, many people knowing this truth make sporadic efforts from time to time to control their thoughts. But the thought stream being so close as I have pointed out and the impacts from outside so constant and varied, they do not make very much progress. That is not the way to work. Your only chance is definitely to form a new habit of thought which will carry you through when you are preoccupied or off your guard.
as well as when you are consciously attending to the business. This new thought habit must be definitely acquired and the foundation of it can be laid within a few days. And the way to do this is make up your mind to devote one week solely, one week solely to the task of building a new habit of thought. And during that week, let everything in life be unimportant as compared with that. If you will do so, then that week will be the most significant week in your whole life. It will literally be the turning point for you. If you will do so, it is safe to say that your whole life will change for the better. In fact, nothing can possibly remain the same. This does not simply mean that you'll be able to face your present difficulties in a better spirit. It means that the difficulties will go. Let me repeat this. This does not simply mean that you will be able to face your present difficulties in a better spirit. It means that the difficulties will go. This is the scientific way to alter your life. And being in accordance with the great law, it cannot fail. Now, do you realize that by working in this way, you do not have to change conditions? What happened is that when you apply the law, and the conditions change spontaneously. You cannot change conditions directly. You have often tried to do so and fail. But go on the seven day mental diet and conditions must change for you. This then is your prescription. For seven days, you must not allow yourself to dwell on a single moment on any kind of negative thought. You must watch yourself for a whole week as a cat watches a mouse. And you must not, under any pretense, allow your mind to dwell on any thought that is not positive, constructive, optimistic, kind. The discipline will be so strenuous that you could not maintain it consciously for more than a week. But I do not ask of you to do so. A week will be more than enough. Because by that time, the habit of positive thinking will begin to be established. Some extraordinary changes for the better will have come into your life, encouraging you enormously. And the future will be much brighter. But it is only for one week in your life and you will definitely alter everything for the better for the rest of the life here, for all eternity. In fact, things will be utterly different and inconceivably better than if you had not carried around through this undertaking. Do not start it lightly. Think about it for a day or two before you begin. Then start in. And the grace of God will be with you. You may start in any day of the week at any given time of the day, first thing in the morning or after breakfast or after lunch, does not matter. But once you do start, you must go right through that for the seven days. That is essential. The whole idea is to have seven days of unbroken mental discipline in order to get the mind definitely bent in a new direction once and for all. 
if you make a false start or even if you go on well for two three days and then for any reason fall off the diet the thing to do is to drop the scheme altogether for several days then to start afresh there must be no jumping on and off as it were you remember remember that Reed Van Winkle in the play would take a solemn vow of teetotalism and then promptly accept a drink for the first neighbor who offered him one, saying calmly, I won't count this one. Well, on the seven-day mental diet, this sort of thing simply will not do. You must positively count every lapse. And whether you do or not, nature will. When there is a lapse, you must go off the diet altogether and start again. Now. In order, if possible, to forestall difficulties, I will consider them in a little detail. First of all, what do I mean by negative thinking? Well, a negative thought is any thought of failure, disappointment or trouble, any thought of criticism or spite or jealousy or condemnation of others or condemnation of yourself, any thought of sickness or accident or in short, any kind of limitation or pessimistic thinking. Any thought that is not positive and constructive in character, whether it concerns you, yourself or anyone else, is a negative thought. Do not bother too much about the question of classification. However, in practice you will never have any trouble in knowing whether a given thought is positive or negative. Even if your brain tries to deceive you, your heart will whisper the truth. Second, you must be quite clear. Let me repeat this. You must be quite clear that what this scheme calls for is that you shall not entertain or dwell upon negative things. Note this carefully. It is not the thoughts that come to you that matter, but only such of them as you choose to entertain and dwell upon. It does not matter what thoughts may come to you provided you do not entertain them. It is entertaining or dwelling upon them that matters. Of course, many negative thoughts will come to you all day long. Some of them will drift you into your mind to their own accord, seemingly, and these come to you out of the race mind. Other negative thoughts will be given to you by other people, either in conversation or by their conduct, or you will hear disagreeable news, perhaps by letter or telephone, or you will see crimes and disasters announced in the newspaper's headings. These things, however, do not matter as long as you do not entertain them. In fact, it is these very things that provide the discipline that is going to transform you during this epoch-making week. The thing to do directly when the negative thought presents itself, turn it off. Turn away from the newspaper, turn out the thought of the unkind letter or stupid remark or whatnot. When a negative thought floats into your mind, immediately turn it off and think of something else. Best of all, think of God as explained in the Golden Key. A perfect analogy is furnished by the case of a man who is sitting by an open fire with a red-hot cinder, flies out and falls on his sleeve. If he knocks out that cinder off that once, without a moment's delay, to think about it, no harm is done. But if he allows it to rest on him for a single moment, under any pretense, the mischief is done and it will be a troublesome task to repair the sleep. So it is with a negative thought. Now, what of those negative thoughts and conditions which is impossible to avoid at the point where you are today? What of the ordinary troubles that you will have to meet in the office or at home? The answer is, 
such things will not affect your diet provided that you do not accept them by fearing them, by believing them, by being indignant or sad about them, or by giving them any power at all. Any negative condition that duty compels you to handle will not affect your diet. Your diet. Sorry. Go to the office or meet the cares at home without allowing them to affect you. And all will be well. Suppose that you are lunching with a friend who talks negatively. Do not try to shut him up or otherwise snub him. Blame talk, but do not accept what he says. And your diet will not be affected. Suppose that on a coming home you are greeted with a lot of negative conversation. Do not preach a sermon, but simply do not accept it. It is your mental consent. Remember that constitutes your diet. Suppose you witness an accident or a knack of injustice. Let us say, instead of reacting with pity or indignation, refuse to accept the appearance at its face value. Do anything you can to make it right. Give it the right talk and let it go at that. You will still be on the diet. Of course, there will be situation that you can overcome. It is important for you to distract yourself and think about something else, possibly something positive, which means that you will think about something that is positive and let go of the negative. Of course, it will be very helpful if you can take steps to avoid meeting during this week. Anyone who seems particularly likely to arouse the devil in you, people who get on your nerves or rub you the wrong way. Of course, that will be ideal. Suppose that you have a particularly trying old deal before you next week. Well, if you have enough spiritual understanding, you will know how to meet that in the spiritual way. But for present purpose, I think you should wait another week before you start the diet. And as soon as the ordeal is over, you can start. As I said before, do not, do not take up the diet lightly, but think it over well first. In closing, I want to tell you that people often find that the stating of this diet seems to stir up a lot of sorts of difficulties. It seems as though everything begins to go wrong at once. This may be disconcerting, but it is really a good sign. It means that things are moving and it is not that the very object we have in view. Suppose your whole world seems to rock on its foundations. Hold on steadily, let it rock, and when the rocking is over, the picture will have reassembled itself into something much nearer to your heart's desire. The above point is vital, vitally important and rather subtle. Do not see that the very dwelling upon this difficulty in itself is a negative touch which has probably thrown you off the diet. The remedy is not of course to deny that your world is rocking appearance, but to refuse to take the appearance for the reality. Judge not according to appearances, but judge righteous judgment. A closing word of caution. Do not tell anyone else that you are on the diet or that you intend to go on it. Keep this tremendous project strictly to yourself. Remember that your soul should be the sacred place of the Most High. When you have come to the seven days successfully and secured your demonstration, allow a reasonable time to elapse to establish the new mentality and then tell the story to anyone who you think is likely to be helped by it. And finally, 
remember that nothing said or done by anyone else can possibly throw you off the dive. Only your own reaction to the other person's conduct can do that. And that's the seven day mental diet by Emil Fox. Now let's go directly to another excerpt from the book Letting Go by David Hawkins. And here we go. Letting Go by David Hawkins. How to let go. Letting go involves being aware of a feeling, letting it come up, staying with it, and letting it run its course without wanting it to be different or do anything about it. It simply means to let the feeling be there and focus on letting out the energy behind it. The first step is to allow yourself to have the feeling without resisting it, venting, fearing it, condemning it, or moralizing about it. It means to drop the judgment and to see that it is just a feeling. The technique is to be with the feeling and surrender all efforts to modify it in any way. Let go of wanting to resist the feeling. It is the resistance that keeps the feeling going. When you give up resisting or trying to modify the feeling, it will shift to the next feeling and be accompanied by a lighter sensation. A feeling that is not resist will disappear as the energy behind it dissipates. As you begin the process, you will notice that you have fear and guilt over having feelings. There will be resistance to feelings in general. To let feelings come up, it is easier to let go of the reaction to having the feelings in the first place. A fear of fear itself is a prime example of this. Let go of the fear or guilt that you have about the feeling first and then get into the feeling itself. When letting go, ignore all thoughts, focus on the feeling itself, not on the thoughts. Thoughts are endless and self-reinforcing and they only breed more thoughts. Thoughts are merely rationalizations of the mind to try and explain the presence of the feeling. The real reason for the feeling is the accumulated pressure behind the feeling and the thoughts that is forcing it to come up in the moment. The thoughts or external events are only an excuse made up by the mind. As we become more familiar with letting go, it will be noticed that all negative feelings are associated with our basic fear related to survival and that all feelings are merely survival programs that the mind believes unnecessary. The letting go technique undoes the programs progressively. Through that process, the underlying motive behind the feelings becomes more and more apparent. To be surrendered means to have no strong emotion about a thing. It's okay if it happens and it's okay if it doesn't. When we are free, there is a letting go of attachments. We can enjoy a thing but we don't need it for our happiness. There is progressive diminishing of dependence on anything or anyone outside of ourselves. These principles are in accord with the basic teachings of the Buddha to avoid attachment to worldly phenomena, as well as the basic teachings of Jesus Christ to be in the world but not of it. Sometimes we surrender the feeling and we notice that it returns and continues. This is because there is more of it yet to be surrendered. We have stuffed these feelings all throughout our lives 
and there can be a lot of energy pushed down that needs to come up and be acknowledged and need to be mentioned. When surrender occurs, there is an immediate, lighter, happier feeling, almost like a high. By continuously letting go, it is possible to stay in a state of freedom. Feelings come and go, and eventually you realize that you are not your feelings, but that the real you is merely witnessing them. Let me repeat this. Feelings come and go, and eventually you will realize that you are not your feelings, but that the real you is merely witnessing them. You stop identifying with them. The you that is observing and is aware of what is happening always stays the same. As you become more and more aware, the changeless witness within, you begin to identify with that level of consciousness. You become progressively, primarily the witness rather than the experiencer of phenomena. You get closer and closer to the real self and begin to see that you had been dubbed, duped, sorry, by feelings all along. You thought that you were the victim of your feelings. Now you see that they are not the truth about yourself. They are merely created by the ego, that collector of programs which the mind has mistakenly believed are necessary for your survival. The results of letting go are deceptively quick and subtle, but the effects are very powerful. Often we have let go but think we haven't. It will be our friends who make us aware of the change. One reason for this phenomenon is that when something is fully surrendered, it disappears from consciousness. Now, because we never think of it, we don't realize that it has gone. This is a common phenomenon among people who are growing in consciousness. We are not aware of all the cool that we have shoveled. We are always looking at the shovel full we are handling right now. We don't realize how much the pile has gone down. Often, our friends and family are the first ones to notice. So keep going. And that's the end of the second excerpt from the amazing book, Letting Go by Danny Hawkins. And then in closing, a few words from my own. I read The Mental Diet and by Emmett Fox and the book Letting Go a while back. And I was equally happy of reading both books. I do believe that mental diet and letting go is the best combination in life. And I hope that you can understand that through the words of Emmett Fogg, David Hawkins, and humbly mine. Yes, it will take some discipline, and sometimes a lot of discipline, but it's truly the best thing you can do in life, which means guarding your mind. Let me repeat this, guarding your mind and being on top of your thoughts. One more time, being on top of your thoughts. The Buddha said that the mind is the forerunner of all things. Therefore, what you let in and what you react to has consequences, good or bad or everything in between. We all need to be aware and beware of the negative, negative thoughts that come in and that are redundant. Maybe there's something deeper. That's what we need to know. And by constantly guarding our thoughts and replacing negative thoughts with positive thoughts and letting go of the heavier stuff and the deeper stuff, one can only triumph on every level. I hope you like this lecture. I hope you like this episode, this video, this podcast. I'm immensely grateful for all of you who have listened till the end and appreciate 
and I appreciate your time. And please, if you like, if you want to hate, you can comment too. I appreciate it anyway. It helps my channel grow. Thank you so much.